so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. We're listening to the ERLC podcast. Wait, are we recording in there? Yeah. Are you sure the lines are moving? Yes. Are you positive? We'll go back and check in a minute. But yes, they are moving. I'm very skeptical. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and for the second week in a row, with me in the studio is only Brent Leatherwood, because we have bid our beloved third co-host, Josh Wester, farewell, and uh, and we just want to continue to give him a shout out for just a little while. But ever faithful, here with me is... The one, the only, Brent Leatherwood. Thank you, Lindsay. It's a privilege to be in the studio here with you. Does it make you feel lesser than every time I remind listeners that we don't have Josh with us anymore and I just have, I'm just left here with you? No, I mean, it feels like we're on Survivor Island. Yeah, we are on Survivor Island. <laughs> and if people knew what it took to get us set up to record each week, <laughs> they would not want to entrust us with this podcast. But let's go ahead and start talking about the week. First, I want to cover what's happening on ERLC.com. First up, we have an important article by Jason Thacker about vaccine mandates and religious exemptions. So with the approval by the FDA of the Pfizer vaccine, there's a lot more chatter going on about possible vaccine mandates, both in the private sector, so privately owned companies or restaurants, businesses, and in the public sector, so government-owned things, healthcare systems. And Christians are rightly concerned about their religious liberty. And this is a first freedom that we have as Americans, as Christians in America. We take it seriously. And as pastors are getting questions about these vaccine mandates and and people are concerned if it violates their their religious liberty and if there are religious exemptions to this, we want to help— Uh, Christian leaders and pastors deal winsomely and wisely with these questions. And I just want to pull a couple of quotes from Jason's article that I think captures the tenor of it. Jason says, pastors should graciously and patiently consult with those seeking such exemptions, religious, religious exemptions, or accommodations in order to determine whether the request is predicated on sincere religious grounds. And I love the final Uh, paragraph in his article, and it's this. Religious liberty is fundamental to the Christian faith and American life. It is a right that our government is designed to recognize and uphold, but also a right that must be guarded and respected given other deeply concerning religious freedom violations we have experienced over the years. As we continue to address questions about vaccines and mandates, Christians should strive to base our decisions not on politics or hearsay, but on sound biblical reasoning and the best information available. So Brent, what do you think about this article and this conversation? I think this article is uh, really 
helpful. It's wise. Uh, you know, it doesn't litigate requirements and other moves that employers are taking. Instead, it it helpfully walks pastors and and other Christians who have questions about this through some categories uh, about how to think about what constitutes a valid religious liberty argument and, and and what might actually be rooted in some other space, be it uh, health, be it personal preferences, be it political preferences. Um, those things can be dealt with separately than religious liberty. And, uh, you know, this is important because this week we've received a number of requests from pastors who are just saying, man, help me. I've got some folks in my congregation. Help me just kind of navigate this conversation wisely and uh, graciously, uh, because this is a a moment, once again, where um, our churches are are being asked to do something uh, that that probably a lot of our pastors didn't go to seminary for. You know, y'all just be kind to your pastors. Uh, if if you have questions about this, uh, these kinds of um, requirements that are coming out there, and and just know that they are absolutely doing the best that they can, and we are doing the best that we can at the RLC to equip them with the kinds of information that they need to answer those questions. That's right. And I that's why I am thankful for this article. It's helping me think through this. I was on the phone with a coworker for an hour trying to talk through this type of stuff because I didn't go to school for this. I'm not a religious liberty expert. So we want to uphold our religious freedom that we have here, it is precious. We don't want to bind the consciences of those who are questioning whether the vaccine mandates fall into a religious exemption category or something else. Uh, we want, as Brent said, to point them to some good information. And I, and I would point those of you who are going to look at this online to the links that Jason includes in his article, lots of helpful links, including to the Alliance Defending Freedom which is just an an amazing organization that's an advocate for religious freedom and and has been in the news recently with some amazing religious liberty victories. So be sure to check this article out. I I don't think it's the last that you're going to hear of this topic for sure in our society in coming days. Next up, we have an article by Julie Masson with three ways parents can talk to their kids about Afghanistan. I love this article because even I have small children and But even as a parent thinking about when they get older and, and we face uh, different hardships and there are things in the news that I'm not sure how to talk about, Julie kind of puts some feet to this idea. And so if you, if you don't know how to start to address this topic because it feels too big or it feels too hard or feels too confusing— Julie just gives you some simple steps and based on what she has done with her own family. So, for instance, they find a good news source. They listened to a podcast together over dinner, which I thought was a great idea. Uh, And, of course, that did not come without interruptions. There were plenty of normal family interruptions. They allowed for plenty of time for questions because this kind of stuff is confusing to adults. Of course, it's confusing to children. And then most importantly, they prayed together. And you'll have to check out the article to see how how she and her husband chose to structure this to, to make sure that they weren't just praying in generalities, but making this seem more real and more tangible to their children. I love that we provide resources, not just to pastors, um, but our mission at the RLC is to equip the church and parents who are out there leading families 
are a part of the church, and I love that we provide these kinds of resources to parents about really complex issues, and and certainly whether it is the human atrocities that are going on in Afghanistan, the policies that led to this moment, there there's just a lot to navigate. And our children, they see all this. They, they see us, they hear us talking about it, they see it on television. And uh, providing these sorts of resources are absolutely vital. And I just love that we got a, a little peek into the Masan household and how they talked about this and uh, how they prayed uh, over this tragic situation in Afghanistan. That, that's, that's absolutely what's needed by, by Christians here in America. And what stands out to me and what's important to me is that not every parent is going to be equipped and or called to explain foreign policy to their children. Some of our coworkers might be able to do that. Uh, that I might try to do that because I, I get in a lane that's not mine, uh, but I'm going to crash and burn and not really give my child something to um, something helpful to grasp onto. But as believers, what we do know that we're called to is to disciple our children and to um, call them to love every single individual because they are made in God's image and to pray for their uh, protection and for their salvation and to bring the hope of the gospel to them. We're to call them to care about humanity and about individuals. And that's something that all of us can do as parents. And then finally, I wanted to highlight a piece that explains a little bit more on paper about something that we talked about last week on the ERLC podcast. And that was a Texas law that was upheld by the Court of Appeals. So this explainer is by Jordan Wooten, and it is titled, Texas Law Banning Abortion Procedure Upheld by Court of Appeals. Again, you could go back to last week's podcast to listen more about that in the culture section, and also you can check out the, the podcast show notes on our site. This just provides a concise article that explains what this bill is, Senate Bill 8, what it outlaws, which is a specific uh, procedure that is used for abortions, and why this is a a good pro-life win, and why this whittles away little by little at the abortion industry and may set up in the future a victory over Roe v. Wade. And of course, we would want the overturning of that. Um, but just little by little, any any human life that we can save, uh, we want to celebrate, we want to point out to you, uh, and we want to continue to pray about. Right. And this, this shows the value of a uh both-and approach to combating abortion, because this particular uh, move that the appeals court affirmed and upheld uh, so that Texas can move forward with uh, prohibiting this, it's just about a very specific method uh, at a very specific uh, point in time in a, a preborn baby's life. And so we want to see that passed and upheld so that those lives at that stage can be upheld. And at the same time, we're going to continue pushing for every other conceivable policy uh, that will will save even one more life uh, as we drive towards ending abortion completely and making it unthinkable in our culture. That's right, Brent. And I don't know if I'm thinking of this correctly, because again, I'm not an expert, but I kind of view that incremental approach as uh, if you're fighting cancer, as we have friends whose um, friends or their their spouses are, are fighting this disease, and they take 
every measure that is ethical that they are able to use to be able to whittle away at that cancer. They they don't they mm. don't just wait to have like the one magic pill that will totally eradicate it all and and just wait in the meantime for that cancer to grow in their body. By and large, I would assume. They take every measure that they can to be able to whittle away at that. And that's what we want to do because it means it means saving lives. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great analogy, and that's a helpful one uh, for us to think about as we continue our advocacy to end abortion. So, Brent, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com this week. Now it's time for our culture section. Brent, tell us what's happening. All right, thanks for that, Lindsay. And, you know, just before we began recording this podcast, uh, I had the privilege of hosting an online event uh, for the ERLC that took a look uh, around the globe at international religious freedom challenges. And honestly, that that word challenges, it, it it's it's not big enough uh, to really carry the weight of just some of the major conflicts that are happening around the world right now. And chief among them is what is happening in Afghanistan, where just a disastrous series of events continues to play out, even as people are being evacuated in in huge numbers, which we we are thankful for. But it it's uh, needless to say, this has been a heavy heavy week. And as a matter of fact, just earlier this morning on Thursday. Uh, two big explosions uh, rocked Kabul just outside of Hamid Karzai International Airport where those evacuations are taking place. So uh, this comes to us, our first story comes to us from the Wall Street Journal. Two explosions ripped through crowds of Afghans trying to enter Kabul Airport on Thursday, causing multiple casualties and disrupting the final push of the U.S.-led evacuation effort. At least three U.S. troops were injured, a U.S. official said. Witnesses reported multiple fatalities among the Afghans, many of whom were trying to enter the airport because they had assisted U.S.-led coalition efforts and feared persecution by the Taliban. Western governments have repeatedly warned of an imminent attack by Islamic State and urged their citizens not to approach the airport. After the blasts, the U.S. Embassy told all Americans to leave the entrances to the airport immediately. The explosion at the Abbey Gate of the airport was the result of a complex attack, Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby said. He said another blast occurred near the Barron Hotel adjacent to the airport. A British security official said both attacks were carried out by suicide bombers. Uh, This just um, highlights the danger uh, that this situation has has created uh, the quick uh, withdrawal of uh, American troops uh, and coalition troops. Uh, it's just created a, a, a very tense situation over there as the Taliban has regained control, and a number of analysts uh, believe that that terrorists uh, are in fact infiltrating um, all areas around Kabul, uh, and so this is certainly something uh, that we all need to be paying attention to and praying about. Well, and I'm trying to think of something profound to say, and we can all sit around and pontificate about it and uh, and talk about what should have been done, what shouldn't have been done, uh, what this is going to um, continue to lead to, and and we don't know. It's just a disaster, and it's it's um, so many unknowns. 
all I can think about is the need to pray. Again, it makes me thankful for the prayer guide that we were able to put out for Julie's piece about talking to your children, because that's really all we can do, um, which is a lot, because it's going to take the Lord to intervening in this, to intervene in this situation to spare lives. I can't. The other thing I can do is try try to put myself in their shoes. I can't imagine being stuck in a country that's being taken over by dangerous forces and fearing for my life, that my life could be taken from me any minute and I can't get out of the country. That's something we don't experience here in America. So it's just another reminder to me to carry the Afghan people in my heart and to to be praying for them. And something else I wanted to recommend for myself, I'm trying to educate myself on this and how to think about it. And we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but the Dispatch podcast, sometimes I don't think there's usually any language there, uh, but it, they have people with varying opinions, but I find them to be pretty balanced and very helpful because of their areas of expertise. So I'd recommend that to listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Dispatch, they've been doing some great reporting as well as some great thinking on the situation in Afghanistan. So one of the ways, though, uh, that we can uh, talk about policy is what we've done at the ERLC, which recently we joined a letter with other evangelical organizations to urge President Biden and the Biden administration uh, to honor our commitment uh, to Americans who are in Afghanistan, as well as those who helped the American effort in Afghanistan to flee from that country as the Taliban takes over. And NBC News is reporting this, that around 1,500 American citizens remain in Afghanistan ahead of the rapidly approaching August 31st deadline for the U.S. to withdraw troops from the country, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said on Wednesday. In a briefing with reporters, Blinken said 4,500 Americans have been evacuated from Afghanistan in the past 10 days, and we've been in direct contact with approximately 500 additional Americans and provided specific instructions on how to get to the airport safely. He said officials have had a difficult time tracking down the other estimated 1,000 American citizens who might still be in the country. There are varying estimates from other news outlets uh, that they're beyond these Americans. There are green card holders. uh, There are um, Afghans who have uh, specific visas that would allow them to gain entry into America because of this crisis. And many analysts suggest that uh, we just are not going to be able to get all of these individuals out of Afghanistan. One way that could happen uh, would be to prolong the uh, withdrawal date. And that is something that the Associated Press is reporting on uh, because our G7 allies um, have requested that President Biden extend that withdrawal deadline. And it doesn't seem like that is going to be the case, again, from the AP. Britain and other allies, many of whose troops followed American forces into Afghanistan nearly 20 years ago to deal with the plotters of the September 11th attacks on the United States, had urged Biden to keep American forces at the Kabul airport longer. No country would be able to evacuate all their citizens and at-risk Afghan allies by the August 31st deadline, allied officials had said. Quote, we will go on right up until the last moment that we can, said British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who had openly lobbied to keep the airport presence after August 31st. 
Johnson acknowledged he was unable to sway Biden to extend the U.S. military presence in Tuesday's talks. Quote, but you've heard what the president of the United States has had to say. You've heard what the Taliban have said, he said. A senior French official speaking anonymously in accordance with the French presidency's customary practices said President, French President Emmanuel Macron had pushed for extending the August 31st deadline but would adapt to the American sovereign decision. That's in the hands of the Americans, he said. So um, look, just as a reminder, the, uh, the withdrawal of uh, troops from Afghanistan – that was agreed to by America several years ago. Uh, President Biden uh, came into office and said that he is going to uh, respect uh, that decision. Uh, he extended it to August 31st, and and now here we are, just days away from that deadline. And uh, you know, I think a number of military experts and international relations uh, analysts are, are rightfully asking, why wasn't more done sooner uh, to begin evacuating these folks from? Uh, Afghanistan. And that's honestly, that's an answer that the administration has not been forthcoming with. And as I was listening this morning to a podcast, you know, one person was saying that perhaps Biden and the administration and, and different officials didn't anticipate that the fallout or the chaos that Taliban taking over would happen as quickly as it has happened and it wouldn't escalate as fast. They, maybe they knew it was going to happen but thought it would take months. But instead, it is not. It's taken days and weeks. And I just hope that we can get as many people out as possible, including our citizens. But you just think about the Afghan citizens that helped us and fought alongside us and whose lives are in imminent danger. Like, there's, is there any way we'll be able to get those those people out by the August 31st deadline. And, and uh, anyway, it's just a sad state of affairs. And it is, it just feels like the whole world is really heavy. It feels like it started in 2020 with COVID and it just keeps going on thing after thing after thing after thing. And we just need the, the Lord's grace to not be weighed down by it all and to find uh, and to rest in the hope that we have in Christ that one day he's going to come and make all things new. That's a good word uh, in that section. And the next big section where there is uh, similar heaviness is the COVID front, where things are certainly uh, um, taking an alarming trajectory, to say the least. There was good news at the beginning of the week, and this is covered by the Associated Press. The U.S. gave full approval to Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine on Monday potentially boosting public confidence in the shots and instantly opening the way for more universities, companies, and local governments to make vaccinations mandatory. And that's why I think, you know, as we talked about earlier, uh, our piece from Jason Thacker on our team uh, is, is really helpful in this moment. The Pentagon promptly announced it will press ahead with plans to force members of the military to get vaccinated amid the battle against the extra-contagious Delta variant. The University of Minnesota, likewise, said it will require its students to get the shot, as did Louisiana's major public universities, including LSU, though state law there allows broad exemptions. More than 200 million Pfizer doses have been administered in the U.S. under emergency provisions and hundreds of millions more worldwide since December. In going a step further and granting full approval, the FDA cited months of real-world evidence that serious side effects are extremely rare. And to kind of 
add a little bit additional color to that, Axios is reporting on those specific uh, schools that were mentioned. Colleges and universities are welcoming students to campus against the backdrop of a nationwide surge of COVID-19 cases, largely driven by the Delta variant, posing questions about how best to reopen campuses safely. Some schools are turning to disciplinary actions through fees or, in one case, suspending internet access as a way to promote strict adherence to COVID-19 protocols. Others, however, are giving away prizes in an effort to incentivize students to get vaccinated. Again, I, I, I you know, talked about it here in the middle of talking about both of these stories. Our piece on the vaccine requirements and uh, exemptions, I think, is certainly uh, a must-read, as well as you, you talked about the other resource uh, from one of our partners, Alliance Defending Freedom, just helping people to understand what categories to put some of their either questions or objections and and how to process through those, I think, is immensely helpful. Yeah, and this is good news that the FDA gave full approval to Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine, which has a funny name now. The, the things that, just on a lighthearted note, the things they name drugs, how do they come up with these I've things? I've always wondered how they come yeah. up with the names There's these. one yeah. that I always, the inner middle school child in me always giggles. It's named Latuda. I'm like, I had to take a medicine <laughs> named Latuda every day, which I'm sure it's a helpful medicine. I don't remember what it's for. I'm not making fun of people that take it. I'm saying the names are hilarious. Right. So there's a meme circling around about, is it? it's like Comiarty or something is what it's called. And they say it's a mixture between community, immunity, mRNA, mRNA and something else. But then the memes, the meme was that all of these different things were represented by animals. And then, so then you see the the animal that it created. <laughs> so they just, they name things weird, weird, weird things. Also on another lighthearted note, I'm very thankful for the vaccine. I wouldn't have waited to get it. I don't think. I understand people who do, but on a on a funny note, I'm like, man, I should have held out till I could have gotten some good prizes and incentives because now that I'm already vaccinated, I can't get some of these things. I can't get a paid some things or get a nice prize. Maybe I could be a get a trip to Hawaii or something. That would have been really nice. <laughs> Even though Hawaii is talking about not wanting people You're right. to come right. in to yeah. their to their state. So yeah, this is all uh, this is good news, the FDA approval. Again, we always say we're thankful for the vaccines. I understand people that are hesitant, but I'm also thankful for for the data that we're learning more and more uh, about how how safe these are and how the side effects are extremely rare. Absolutely. And look, this news about the full approval of the Pfizer vaccine comes at a good time because of what the Delta variant is doing in many of our communities. So, uh, Axios is reporting this. More than 77% of America's ICU beds are being used right now as hospitals grapple with a crush of severely ill COVID patients, almost all of them unvaccinated. Hospitals are once again overwhelmed, and this time they're also facing staff shortages and burnout that only makes matters worse, especially in the face of illness that was largely preventable. So a few of these states, they they pull out a data from a few of these states. Arkansas and Alabama officials said this week their states were completely out of ICU beds. In Kentucky, Governor Andy Bashir said record COVID hospitalizations were forcing some hospitals to convert space to treat the influx of ICU patients. In Florida, 94% of ICU beds are full. Nearly 50 hospitals there reported critical staffing shortages, and almost 60 more said they anticipate 
critical staffing shortages by the end of the week. Anecdotally, uh, I've got a friend who works in one of our major hospitals here in Nashville, and he said every single patient that is currently hospitalized there uh, is is somebody who who has not been vaccinated. That's you know that gets to what Axios is reporting here that that these illnesses were were largely preventable. And you know we should be clear: people who are vaccinated are still getting and contracting COVID. It's just that the vast vast majority of them are not suffering from severe uh, illness. They're not having to be hospitalized, and it is incredibly rare for any deaths to result from that. Uh, and that's, that's what my friend was, uh, this, this doctor was, uh, relaying to me. And, and he's just like, this moment is actually worse than what we faced last January and February, because now we've got the vaccine and it's, it's, it is both it's both exhausting, but it's very frustrating. Well, and as one friend has said, whose husband works in the medical field, uh, specifically in pulmonology, she said this is going to be his his life. When he started medical school, COVID like this wasn't on the horizon, you know, and it wasn't a part of what he took care of on a daily basis. And now this is going to be his medical career. And um, it's just heartbreaking to see some of the unvaccinated people that that he's been treating in the ICU who are young or who uh, would still refuse to get the vaccine. And and look, people have a, have a right to not get the vaccine. Um, and, you know, that's their choice. I think there's, I think there should be more than just uh, how it affects you individually that you should take into mind. But for me, I don't want to gamble with with the seriousness of how this can play out. I'm I'm thankful that it's I'm thankful the numbers aren't higher than they are, but still the numbers are way higher than they had projected at the very beginning. And it just sounds like an absolutely terrible illness that people are suffering from in isolation. So I I am thankful for the vaccine, and um, I'm I'm just thankful that we have as much information about it as we do. And I just think about my mom has the the I don't know if it's smallpox or polio, the big, it's like a big indentation on her arm from when she was little and she got that. And, um, and I just think we're at the a point now when we have the, the most and the best medical technology to be able to make safe vaccines compared to the vaccines that we would take without even thinking about it back in the day. And, um, and, and so I, I just, I, I just urge people to just consider to talk to your doctors, talk to medical professionals, forsake the inter- interwebs and the internets, and um, talk to medical professionals about if this is right for you. Well, and this last story that we're going to talk about is uh, is a is a slightly more lighthearted one, but it's not something I would recommend anyone in our audience do to uh, either show your support or opposition to uh, masks, which uh, you know once again are, are back in the news with school starting. And there's a number of parents out there that have uh, varying opinions on on the use and efficacy of masks in schools. So uh, this this uh, Texas father uh, took a unique approach uh, to showing his support. Uh, and the story goes like this: James Akers, a 15 year resident of Dripping Springs, Texas, started the 90 seconds he was allotted during public comments in front of his local school board by saying he had three children. Uh, go through the school district and another currently in high school. He said, quote, I'm here to say that I do not like government or any other entity. Just ask my wife telling me what to do. But sometimes I've got to push the envelope a little bit. And I've just decided that 
I'm going to not just talk about it, I'm going to walk the walk. Akers then discussed how much he hated the jacket, shirt, and tie he's required to wear for work before proceeding to take off all three. He then alluded to mask opposition and sarcastically talked about driving through three stop signs and four red lights on his way to the meeting and parking in a handicapped space. Quote, I almost killed somebody out there, but by God, it's my roads too, so I have every right to drive as fast as I want to. It's a simple protocol, people, he continued, by now having removed his pants and standing before the school board members in a swimsuit. School board president Barbara Stroud addressed the stunt, which drew a mix of gasps, laughter, and cheers from the crowd. She said, Mr. Akers, I understand. I believe you're a swimmer, but if you wouldn't mind putting your pants back on for a comment, that would be appreciated, she said. We we are living in a in dumb, very crazy, times, crazy moment. Yes. Uh, I, I would not suggest that this uh, be the way that any of us, again, show either our support or opposition for any policy. Well, that's like this guy here in in Nashville, well, the, the suburb of Nashville where I live and the certain county was, the school board was having a meeting about mask mandates, which are incredibly heated these days. And this man was captured on video screaming at the one of the school board members, I believe, uh, and he was saying, we know where you live. You're threatening him. And like, what? you've lost your mind. Then come to find out, which, P.S., I actually know who this guy is because of some different connections, which I'm just not going to say sure. publicly on, on the podcast. But then come to find out, they interview him, and he— I'm not sure if he's married, but he definitely does not have kids that are even going to school. I'm like, oh, my word. He just felt it was his civic duty to show up. So, okay, you want to show up, fine, but don't threaten people. Uh, people are just losing their minds. The whole world is going mad. People are just losing their minds. So you, you're you going to have to have a sense of humor about it at some point or yeah. else you'll just curl up in a fetal position and take everything personally. Christians, fellow Christians, let us be known for the grace and the humility that we are approaching this situ- these situations and, and just ask the Lord for wisdom uh, to navigate them. So that way we we, uh, we don't inadvertently become um, a hurdle uh, towards others hearing the gospel uh, through us. So That's right. Well, and you know what I've been convicted about lately is grace and, and humility and um, I don't remember what other words you used, but let us be known for that. In public, so Twitter and the social media and everywhere else, but also in in private, like in the thoughts of our hearts. Do the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts please the Lord? Mm. Do I say things to people behind closed doors that I would not say to the people I'm talking about in front of them or to their face? And I'm guilty of that, and I am have been convicted of that lately. Um, the lack of charity with which I interact with with people sometimes and the conclusions I draw. So um, just to Jesus juke you, Brent, that, that's my Jesus juke for the day. But it's one that, I, that Jesus juked me with, so I guess it's legitimate. All right. Well, Lindsay, that's your look at This Week in Culture. And now it's time for The Lunchroom, where we tell you what we're talking about with each other. Brent, you're up first because, and I did this last week, now it's just the two of us. Wah, just the wah. two of us. <laughs> we can make it. Nice, nice. So what do you have for us this week? Hey, so I mentioned this earlier. The uh, the online event that I moderated earlier, we now have uh, the link up. 
and it is called Baptists and the Nations, Religious Freedom Challenges Around the Globe. We were joined on that. Our colleague, Chelsea Sobolik, was on there, uh, but we also had Todd Lafferty, who is the Executive Vice President of the International Mission Board, our sister entity here in the SBC, and also Paul Miller, uh, who is a professor uh, at Georgetown University, and he is an expert in international relations. And the the thing I just want to pull out, one of the little gems of wisdom that uh, Paul talked about uh, was regarding China. And he was just saying that, look, the way that any society treats the people uh, within it and the fundamental rights that, that we hold dear uh, is usually a preview of how they will treat their national neighbors. And because China is taking an increasingly aggressive posture uh, in East Asia, he said, we need to be paying very close attention to that. Obviously, all of the headlines are rightfully focused on uh, what is happening in Kabul and in Afghanistan right now. But he said, we as Americans, we need to be paying close attention to what China is doing to assert itself uh, across the globe. And it's just, it was a really good conversation. We, we touched, uh, obviously, on Afghanistan, on East Asia. We also looked at uh, uh, Eastern Europe uh, and the influence that Russia is having there. We talked about Hungary there. Uh, it was a great conversation. And, and so I would commend it uh, to our audience. I've been loving these events that we've been doing, these online events. And I mean, thanks to COVID, we had, that's we that's kind of what we started or right. got yeah. started with a lot mm-hmm. of them. So that's one good thing that's come out of COVID um, or one of the good things that's come out of COVID. Uh, Paul Miller, I like to follow him on Twitter. I just I love the things that he has to say. It's so informative and I would highly recommend it. Well, even myself, I'm going to have to go back and watch the video because I was driving into the office. So I caught the very first part and I was noticing what I noticed as we started was the backgrounds that everybody had set up. So you just, your background in your office was just perfectly so. Chelsea's was in her office, Paul's was, and then, and, and, Todd's as well. So anyway, I was background rating or whatever it is that they call that. I think room Raider. Like a, room Raider. That's what it is. Room Raider. Okay. What I want to share is that Johnny Swim, who listeners, Brent didn't even know who Johnny Swim was. No idea. He called them Johnny Spin. So Johnny Swim has a new song out. I I love much of their music. This song is called Devastating, and it's about marriage and how it can be, uh, it can have love and romance, but at the same time you face tragedy and hardship. One of the lines is ring on my finger and a tag on my toe. So if that doesn't depress you, um, if you're newly married, like our friend Megan Mayo, maybe don't listen to this because then you'll cry, but then later on you can. It's just, they're, they make such sweet music and they're, they're, the um, music video is really sweet because it just shows memories of them married and with their children and and in a in a culture where marriage is not prized and and the biblical view of marriage is not upheld and certainly um commitment and the covenant of one man and one woman together until death do us part is not is not championed this is what they're championing and i think that that should be celebrated so brent you should listen so we're talking about a duo with the name johnny swin Johnny Swim, not Swim. Johnny Swim. <laughs> so, husband and wife, which just so 
just to let you know, I, I mean, I don't know the husband, but I know who he is because he grew up in my hometown and is friends with my friends. And my friend played, her husband played guitar for him for a while. Well, I'm just pointing out your husband is in the music industry. My wife is. Uh, the better name would have been Johnny Spin because you want spins for your album. No, you don't even get spins anymore, though. Well, you get you downloads, get, you get plays, yeah, whatever. But, anyways, I'm just saying, I've, I've never, heard, I'm sure it's great music. You need you, to go you ask your wife. It, you played it before, the, you played it here before, and to me, it kind of. You know, sound like something maybe you'd hear in the background of a coffee shop. You know? Well, you know, the the wife in the duo is actually the daughter of Donna Summer. So music is just Yeah, it's some music royalty. That's music right. royalty. You well, need to check it out. And I'm sure your wife would tell you the same thing. So I'm sure. Check I'm, out their new music, everyone. I'm sure. I I I like Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. Oh, my word. Uh, now, Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers. Uh, yeah, you can't roll your eyes at the Queen of Tennessee. <laughs> I don't roll my eyes at Dolly Parton. I, I'm kind of rolling my eyes at Kenny Rogers. I'm, it's just not my thing. Just not my thing. But anyway, that's where we'll end. We do love Dolly Parton, everybody. And yes, go check out Johnny Swim. Just as a reminder, you can find links to all of the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into the podcast app and leaving us a rating and review that will help people find us and will encourage Brent and I to continue to bring you um, great content week after week. As always, we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.